Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, thank you, worship team, and good morning. Um, in just a couple of minutes, Pastor Bruce is going to be coming and bringing us our next message in our, our Prayers of Biblical Proportion series. But before that, there's just a few things that you need to know that I just want to share with you this morning. Uh, I want to give you a couple of weeks' notice that starting on, in two weeks on Sunday, September the 12th, uh, we are going back to our two Sunday morning worship services. Back at the regular times of 9.20 and 11 a.m., and so there'll be two, two uh, services running there. It'll be the same service in, in both, uh, both time slots. So you can pick the one that works best for you. And at this point, uh, we'll be starting with a full kids service during the 920 uh, time slot. And then at, at the 11 o'clock time slot, initially at least, there'll be nursery and there'll be preschool. And uh, our intention is to get the, uh, the elementary school program running up fully for the 11 o'clock as well as soon as uh, we have enough volunteers to make that happen. So if God's laying it upon your heart to work with kids, uh, Kelsey would love to hear from you. And our goal is to, as quick as possible, get two full kids programs running at, during both services. Um, speaking of volunteers... On Wednesday of this week, September 1st at 6 o'clock here at the church is going to be our annual volunteer kickoff. And so we are just, we're, we're just thrilled about working and partnering with uh, those of you who have already volunteered. We're excited about those of you who are going to continue to step into those opportunities. And uh, we have our kickoff at 6 o'clock here at the church on, on uh, Wednesday of this coming week, of this week. Um, we also, another event that's coming up that's uh, a traditional annual event that we're excited to get back into circulation this year is our annual uh, Backyard Barbecue. And that is going to run on uh, Saturday, September 11th, in the back green spaces at, at the far end of the parking lot, a really nice kind of park-like environment there. And this is a, it's going to run from, from noon to 4 p.m. And it's a great opportunity, that event, uh, to to connect with the parents of all the kids that went to camp. We, we send invitations for them to come. We also uh, canvass the area and invite all the residents in, living in our area that want to come, especially those with young families and, and children. Uh, the, the event, if you've never been there, it's set up for families and for kids. There's bouncy castles and climbing wall and a little trail ride. Kenton brings in some horses. There's face painting and, and cotton candy stations and all sorts of cool things in addition to the barbecue. So I know that Kenton uh, would really appreciate if any of you would be willing to help out at that event, Saturday, September 11th. And if you'd be willing to do that, either contact Kenton or you can sign up uh, to volunteer for that, that particular event. If you go to the FBC website and then click on the camp uh, link or web page on the on the main website and you'll you'll see an area on the camp page there to 
uh, click to, to register to volunteer. Uh, another new program that's, that's going to be starting up shortly is, uh, is our Grief Share program. It's starting on September 15th, which is a Wednesday. And uh, this is a, a support type program that's intended for those who have experienced the grief, grief and loss of, of lo losing a loved one and would uh, want to walk along in that journey with others uh, in the same that have gone through this, a similar experience. And so it'll be running for 13 consecutive Wednesday evenings, uh, starting at 7 p.m. And, uh, the, but they, these are standalone, each, each meeting stands on its own. So if you can't make it to all 13 weeks, that's no problem. Don't say, well, then I better not come out to any. Uh, come out to what you can if that's uh, uh, an event that would minister to you at this point in your life. And uh, come on out to that Wednesdays, 7 p.m., starting on September 15th. And then finally, um, on behalf of the board and staff, we want the congregation to know that this past week, Neil Clammer made us aware of some significant issues that have prompted him to step down from his part-time worship coordinator position. Uh, though it's not appropriate to go into details at this point in time, we do want to encourage our church family to be in prayer for Neil and, and others involved as we begin to work through this challenge as a church. We also want to thank you in advance for your respect of their privacy, and especially for supporting them in prayer uh, with your prayers at this point in time. So I'm going to call Pastor Bruce out now, and he'll carry on. Good morning. I think it would be appropriate if we just took a moment. I uh, just prayed for Neil, um, so I'll just take a, a quick moment uh, in your own hearts. Pray for him, and then we will look into God's word this morning. I'll close that time of prayer with a word of prayer of my own. Father, would you just thank you that, um, again... Even when we don't see it, you're working. And so, Father, I just want to thank you that today as we hear this difficult announcement, Lord, that, that we would truly acknowledge that you are, are still working, that you are faithful, that Jesus, your name is the name above all names. Lord, it's a powerful name. So, Lord, thank you for your name. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are with us, that you walk through each difficulty with us. Lord, I just want to pray that as we face this difficult announcement, and Lord, I just want to pray for Neil. Uh, Lord, I just pray for continued love and guidance in his life, Lord, and just as that path is walked, I just pray that it be walked with wisdom, and Lord, just thank you that you will walk that path with us as a church, uh, with us as a staff, with Neil, and Lord, for those, um, Lord, served with him. I just want to thank you in your name. Amen. If we take your Bibles, if you turn to John chapter 17. Uh, John chapter 17. Um, this is the last Sunday in our series on prayers of biblical proportions. 
And uh, this series and our series uh, previous to that, Ready, Set, Go, um, have been on prayer. And and I don't know about you, uh, but I have been very much encouraged uh, by those prayers. It's been a number of different things that, that God has challenged me with in my own prayer life. And I hope that you have been challenged in that way as well. So we think about it and we think about praying. We think about the awesome privilege it is to to be able to come into the very presence of God, to be able to approach the, the omnipotent, the all-powerful creator, and to bring our concerns and our cares to him. Hebrews chapter 4, we'll look at this now, we'll look at it again in a minute, but it says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Prayer is, is such a privilege. We get to commune with God, we get to talk with God, that we get to come in to his presence and say, God, I need you. That's what that song said, and that's, that's our heartbeat, is we need you. Every hour, we need you. And the resource that's available there is, is, is help in the time of need. So such a privilege to pray, such, a, such an opportunity to pray uh, at any time, uh, and it's such a blessing. I don't know about you, but in my life I've had a, a number of people um, when I hear them pray, uh, it's just such a treat. It's such a privilege. Back home in, in, in the church that I grew up in, oftentimes the pastor would, would ask somebody to close a service in prayer, and, and there was always one guy that I kind of, I hoped every week that he would pick him, because when he stood up and he began to pray, it's almost like, you know, the hair on your arm just begins to stand up, because, because number one, he had a really cool voice. He, he really did. Um, it, was, it was just awesome. But, but as he prayed and as he spoke to God, the depth of friendship, the depth of love that he had for the one to whom he was praying was just evident. And just as he spoke, you just know that you were, you were really in the presence of God and that this guy truly loved and, and had a genuine relationship with God. Another guy that I didn't get to hear pray very often was my grandfather Steve's. We had a very large family, and oftentimes when we were together, um, we were having family reunions, and there'd be, you know, 70, 80 people, you know, you know just tearing around. They, they had nine kids, and their kids all had kids, so it was a pretty, you know, noisy event most times. But there was a privilege one time that a man and I had, and we were with the boys, and we were in Moncton, and we had just decided to stop at Arby's to grab something to eat. And we walked in, there was my nanny and my grampy Steve's, and uh, they... They got their little meal, their little combo meal, and cut their burger in half, their sandwich in half, and shared their fries and their drink. And, uh, but before they did that, um, Grampy just said grace. And it was, it was cool because it was, it was just grace, so to speak. But it was one of the first times I, in just a very small group, got to hear my grandfather pray. It's one of the first times I just got to see him. I had seen his love for my grandmother lived out for, for years. But just to hear him talk to God, just to hear him thank God for the food and just, and just the, again, the love that he had for God was so evident, just in a short little prayer. It was a privilege to listen in. Today, um, we have the privilege of, of listening in to a prayer. We have the privilege of, of hearing Jesus pray. And the disciples got, got the front row seat to this. And so today, we're gonna walk through, we're gonna walk through Jesus' prayer. They call it the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. It's a time where, where he's praying for himself, for what's going to come. It's a time when he's praying for his disciples. And there's a key phrase that I want you to see here, and it's just 
four, four words that he, he starts his prayer with. He says, the hour has come. The hour has come. So today we're going to see as Jesus is praying, he's preparing for his hour, the hour, the, 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 the fulfillment of his mission, the, the reason that he came to die on the cross. But then he's going to transfer and he's, he's going to pray for us. And what I guess I want us to keep in front of us today or what he wants maybe us to keep in front of us today is this, is that the hour has come. If we have placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, the hour has come. Now is the time when we need to fulfill our mission as believers in Christ. And today, the hour has come. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait to miss out on the blessing of coming into a relationship with him. The hour has come. Place your faith and trust in him and begin a life of enjoying knowing God as Savior. So let's look at, at John chapter 17. But before we do, I just want to give you a little bit of background. John 13 through 17 is, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I, have, I guess I have a lot of favorites of passages of Scripture, but this one I, I just really enjoy. If you start in John chapter 13, you work your way through John chapter 17, it's really Jesus' last dialogue with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And it's just an amazing thing. It's like Jesus has these few hours, and he has put so much into these, these followers that are in the room with him that night. He's invested into them, and he's been preparing them for a, a job, for a mission to spread the gospel once he leaves. They still didn't get the fact that he was going to leave. They still didn't get the fact that he was going to be crucified. But here Jesus is saying, guys, if you get anything out of these last years of ministry together, I want you to get these topics. I want you to get these things. And my challenge for you this week is to read through John 13 through 17. There's a reading plan in, in the, your, your bulletin, all right? And it's not a hard reading plan to follow. There's five chapters, and we broke it down over five days, so you really probably don't need that reading plan. At the end of chapter 15, it bumps a little bit into 16 because it, it just sort of fulfills the thought of 15 a little bit better. But if you would just take this week, take 10 minutes a day, longer than that if you really want to get into studying it out, Wake up each morning and, and, and just take that few minutes. Read John 13. Then Tuesday, read John 14, 15, 16, 17. And just see what Jesus is pouring into his disciples. Just see what, what he has to pass along to them. See what he wants to teach them in these last bits of time that he has with them. And then, of course, at Friday, you'll catch up with our, with our sermon today, and you'll be able to reflect on, on Jesus' prayer um, for, for himself and for us. And so let's look right at the prayer together, John chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that they may glorify you. Jesus knew, man, this is the hour. This is the time. Throughout his ministry, there had been times when people wanted to kill him. There were times that people wanted to arrest and take him, but it wasn't his time. We can see that in, in John chapter 7. Jesus had been teaching in the temple, and as usual, he had managed to make the religious leaders of the day quite angry with him. And, and as they scored and got angry, they decided it was time to arrest him. John, 17, or John 7 verse 30 said this, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. 
Again, in John chapter 8, this plays out. Jesus makes statements about the fact that he is the Son of God, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming in truth to be the Messiah. But again, the religious leaders of the day did not appreciate that. They thought that was blasphemy. And so again, they wanted to, to arrest him. And again, John 8, 20, uh, these words he spoke in the treasure as he ta- treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Luke gives us one last account here. Um, this was an interesting thing. It was one of my favorite accounts of Jesus just sort of getting away from arrest. He had just declared himself to be the fulfillment of an Old Testament uh, prophecy, which again pointed to the fact that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who had come to be the Savior of the world. And not only that, he really stepped on people's toes by, by mentioning the fact that God had actually shown blessing to the Gentiles over the Jews in, in, in the Old Testament times. And that really, really made people mad. They got quite riled up. And it says this, Luke chapter 4, verses 28 to 30. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of, out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which uh, their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. I don't know about you, but that, that kind of takes on like a Jason Bourne feel for, you, for me, doesn't it? You know, here, it, it, if you've watched any of the Bourne movies, you know that at some point during those movies, pretty much the entire police force in a city is after Jason Bourne and just do some fancy driving or the, you know, the opportune jump off a bridge onto a barge, he manages to get away. You know, here, Jesus has this mob, and I, I, I can't figure out, the, the Bible doesn't give us any, any description of how it happened, other than the fact that this angry mob brings Jesus to the edge of the cliff, they're ready to push him down off the cliff, and he just walks away. Why? Because his hour hadn't come. It wasn't the time. It wasn't the time for him to die. There were still things that he was doing on earth. There was still time to proclaim the kingdom of God. There was still time to invest into the disciples. The hour hadn't come, but now things were different. Jesus, as he's, he's, it seems as though he is done with the upper room. They're walking on the way to the garden. He pauses to pray, and his disciples are there with him. He says, God, it's time. Father, it's time. My hour has come. It's, it's time for my death. It's time for me to die for, for the sin of the world. And he continues to pray. He says, the hour has come. And then it says this, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. It's very interesting. Jesus was about to, to go to the cross. And, and, and this is what glorify means. To praise, extol, magnify, celebrate. To do honor, to hold in honor, to make glorious, adorn with luster, clothe with splendor. When you think about Jesus' prayer, the hour has come, glorify your son. If the cross was the end of Jesus' story, there'd be no glory in that, would there? If Jesus simply died on the cross, a a, a bleeding, bloody, beaten human being, and that was the end of his story, what glory would there be in the cross? What celebration would there be in the cross? It would seem as though the father had, had left the son with his prayer request unfulfilled. But as Jesus, as he approaches his hour, he knew what was coming. He knew the cross wasn't the end of his story. He knew that, that, that dying on the cross was just really just a part of this hour, that he was going to rise again. And let's see, there's a couple of different things that he looks forward to as he, as he prays to be glorified. John 17, 2-4, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you, whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. As Jesus anticipates the cross, he said, the hour has come, glorify your son. He knew that the cross wasn't the end. He knew that the cross was the means for him to be able to give eternal life to all who believed in him. And Jesus was was anticipating that with that excitement, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He said, God, I'm, I'm ready to fulfill this hour. I'm ready for what's going to come after and the results of it. And if somebody asks you today, you know, what, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? I know that when, when I was growing up, I believed in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I knew that I had eternal life, but for some reason, again, I had the concept in my mind that my eternal life died when my earthly life ended. That eternal life was life in heaven. But Jesus said, no, no there's, a, there's a difference here. There's a difference in eternal life. That's certainly part of it. Our eternal life in heaven is is definitely part of eternal life. But here Jesus said this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus anticipated giving us eternal life. He anticipated being able to give us the privilege and the opportunity of entering into a personal relationship with God. The Bible talks about the fact that there is general revelation. There's the fact that we could live our entire lives knowing that there's a God out there. Creation shows God's attributes, his characteristics. We could look around and say there is something out there. There is something bigger than us out there. There is a, there's an all-powerful being somewhere. And we could, we could know about him, that his power and, and glory being demonstrated. But we would not have a personal relationship with him. It's like me sort of saying that I know a celebrity. I could read about that celebrity. I could tell you where they live. I could tell you maybe how many goals they scored in, in a season. I could tell you how much they're making a year. I could tell you all of these things, maybe the name of his dog or his favorite snack, things along those lines. I could know of a celebrity. But until I actually engage with him to converse with him, I wouldn't truly know him. And Jesus said, the hour has come. God, we can take this to the next level. We can, we can assure people that they can know God, not just of him, not just some ambiguous force out there that, that is more powerful than us, but that we can know him personally, that we can walk with him daily, and that is eternal life, knowing who God is, knowing him personally, knowing that he is investing into our lives. There are a number of different things that we can see the benefits of knowing God personally, and we could preach sermons for years and not mine all the depths of knowing God personally and the benefits of knowing him personally, but let's look at a a few verses together. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says that we're children of wrath without him. But because of what Jesus has come, because of what Jesus endured in his hour, we can become God's children. No longer do we know him as, as, as sort of one who's going to condemn us. We now know him as a loving father who wants us to come and to approach him. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, we'll see this again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in the time of need. And again, 
Jesus, as we come to him, he can empathize with us. As we go through the hurts, the struggles, the difficulties of life, he is not disconnected from that. He has endured that. And he wants us to come to him and ask for the help and the strength and the guidance that we need. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Knowing God is knowing that he cares. Eternal life is knowing that we have a God who loves and cares for us. John 14, 26. But when the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, uh, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The privilege that we have as believers in Jesus Christ is not a distant God, not a God who, who, who isn't personal, but a God who loves us so much that he sends his spirit to live in us, to guide us, to direct us, to comfort us, to help us, to aid us. He wants us to know him so much that he gives us his spirit so that we can understand who he is, what he expects of us, and that he loves us very, very much. So that was one thing. Jesus was saying, hey, glorify me. And part of that glorifying will be the fact that he can give eternal life. The second thing that he was looking for, forward to is taking his rightful spot at the Father's side. Jesus prays this in, in John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Have you ever gone on a long trip or been away for a while and... Uh, as the trip was coming to an end, you began to think about the fact that you were going to be able to sleep in your own bed again, you know? I used to love that. I'd go to my grandparents, and, and we'd spend a week with my grandparents, and then come home, and mom and dad would tuck me back into my bed and put my stuffies all around me, and, and it was just like, ah. Oh. Like, I slept okay at Grammy and Grampy's, but this bed is awesome, you know? And, and then just, you know, now, even being away for a while, you come home, you get to crawl into your own bed, and it's just got all the lumps in the right places, and the pillow just feels just right, and it's just like, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. So I was reading this this week and preparing for this. I had missed it for Jesus. I had missed that longing that he had to, to be back home with the Father. He had veiled himself. He had veiled his glory. He had stepped down out of heaven to, to live as a human being. And here in this prayer, we see this, this eager longing, oh God, I get to be back in my rightful place at your side. I can't wait to be there with you. And the depth of Jesus' love is shown in that sacrifice, the depth in the, the sacrifice that he was willing to make to become a, a human being, to lay aside that glory for a bit of time so that, so that we could know God personally and enter into that, his presence is, is amazing truth. You know, what's interesting is Jesus came to this world. He was willing to be treated as just another man. A couple passages of scripture that help us to see that. Luke 7, 4, Jesus said this, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. When Jesus was on trial, John describes this. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how are you to answer the high priest? Jesus, the eternal king, the Son of God, comes to earth, veils his glory in human flesh, willingly subjects himself to being mocked by his creation, willingly subjects himself to being slapped and, 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 and somebody saying to him, is that how you respond to the high priest? Like the high priest is anything in comparison to Jesus. 
And yet Jesus laid that aside. He said, I'm willing to become just a man, although he's far more than that. I'm willing to be ridiculed by my creation. I'm willing to be mocked by my creation, beaten by my creation, so that my creation can know me and they can know the Father. Was Jesus' prayer answered? Let's just take a look, couple of passages. I'm not going to comment much on these because they speak for themselves. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John, or Revelation chapter 1 says this, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I can't help but comment on this a little bit. John as we see him in the, in the Last Supper. He's the one that is beside Jesus, comfortable enough to just lean his head against his chest. He was close to Jesus. They were, they were very personal friends. And, and Jesus being in his veiled, uh, with the, flesh, the veil of flesh on him, John was comfortable being near him. As John sees the glorified Jesus, that, that one who Jesus prayed, glorify me, and the Father has answered that. When John encounters him, he falls to the ground as though dead because he just can't, just the power and the glory and the majesty of Jesus is so overwhelming. Revelation 19 says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword and with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of, the, of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus said, Father, glorify me. Bring me back to your side. Take off this veil so people can see the majesty, the might, the power of who I am. And God answered that prayer. One day we're going to see him. We're going to see him in that glorified state. We're going to see him in all of his power if we have placed our faith and trust in him. So it was Jesus prayed for himself. But then he, he switches gears. And he begins to pray for his disciples. And then later on he says, I don't only pray this for my disciples, but for all who believe in me. So these next few verses is, is God, Jesus just pouring his heart. We know that, we, we may have heard that he has this, this prayer, uh, this ministry of intercession in, in heaven. He's praying for us at all times, but here he, he, he records a little bit of what he prays for us. And I find verse 10 particularly interesting. It says this, all mine are yours and yours are mine, 
and I am glorified in them. So as Jesus is praying for us, he reminds us of, of, of our purpose. If we have placed our faith and trust in him, our purpose is to glorify Jesus, the, the one who, who died, who, who made it possible for us to be in close relationship with God, the one who died and is now glorified at the right hand of the Father. Our job now is to say to people, this is who he is through the words that we say, through the lives that we live. And so Jesus is praying, he said, he, he names a number of different things that will, if we put them into practice, will bring glory to him. Let's just take a look uh, at, at a few of those uh, this morning. First thing we need to realize is that um, Jesus is glorified as we realize and demonstrate the security of our relationship with him. John 17, 11 through 12, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. When I was with them, I kept them by your name, which you have given to me. I have guarded them, and none of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. How is Jesus glorified through us? He's glorified through us as we understand the security of our relationship with him. Here he prays, Father, keep them in your name. Guard them in your name. That's what that word keep means. It means to guard or to watch over. So as we are fulfilling our, 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 that's kind of hard to say, our, our, Jesus Christ looked forward to fulfilling his hour. As we fulfill our, hour of glorifying God, one of those things that we need to realize is that we glorify God as we understand the security of our relationship with him, that he is guarding us. As we go through difficulty, he is guarding us. As we have placed our faith and trust in him, he is guarding us. John tells us, you know, that Jesus said, you know, that he has placed us in the Father's hand and nobody can pluck us out of our Father's hand. Our security in that needs to be a testimony to the world to say, I want that relationship. I want an unending love that that just continues to pray for, to love me no matter what. Somebody reminded me of this passage this week. It says, um, Psalm 46, 1 to 3, God is our refuge and our strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God's our refuge and our strength, and that is a way that we can glorify him as we recognize the strength and security of our relationship. Next thing I want you to see uh, is, is that he is glorified as we obey God's word. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Folks, we have to understand, God has given us a precious gift. Not only Jesus praying for us, but God has given us his word, his instruction manual for how we should live. Folks, we need, to, we need to cherish that. We need to cling to that. We need to, to open it and, and have that same attitude of the psalmist where he says in Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I mean, think of that spoil. It's not like you've gone away for a couple weeks and the power went out, you open your fridge and everything is rotten. You know, the idea there is it's treasure. It's, it's, it's these, these great treasures and benefits as we open God's word. We have to understand that every time that we open God's word and we begin to read it, it's his treasure to us. It's something that we should value more than anything. I don't know about you, but I can take that for granted. I have multiple copies of God's word. I have God's word on my phone. I can look at it wherever I want to look at it. 
There are things in my house that I set aside and treat very carefully because they are valuable. And yet I have a treasure of God's word and I can just take it for granted. That I can pretend that it's, you know, just not that big of a deal sometimes. But it's a treasure and we have to value it. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God wants us to, to have his word in us so that when temptation comes our way, when difficulty comes our way, when those things come along, we're not, we're not unprepared, but he has given us all that we need to be prepared to face those things in a proper way with the right attitude and truly just by, by being obedient to him. So our, our relationship with the word of God, our obedience to the word of God helps us glorify God. Third way, that Jesus shows that we can glorify him is through our unity as believers. John 17, 20 uh, to 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, very important that as people in the world look at us, look at us in the church, that they see a unity. Does everything go smooth? No, it doesn't always go smooth. Do we like everybody's personality quirks? No, not always. You know, will we always get along? Will we always agree? Um, no, it's not gonna happen. But what the world should see when they look at us is this amazing love, this amazing grace, this amazing kindness that despite failures, despite um, disagreements, despite personality quirks, that they see this group of people who loves Jesus so much that they would be willing to sacrifice even for those people they don't get along with so much, even for those people that, that um, maybe have hurt them, even though for those people that are walking through difficult times. And people should look and say, I want to experience that kind of love. I want to experience that kind of unity. I want to be lifted up when I struggle. I want, to, I want to know that even though I've got a weird personality quirk that drives some people crazy, that they're still going to love me no matter what. That's what the world should see. That's how Jesus is glorified in us as we display our unity in him. Finally, Jesus is glorified in us as we anticipate our eternal home, John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me, where I am, that I may uh, to see my glory, that you have given to me. Uh, let's start that over again. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me, where I am, to see my glory, that you have given me, because you're, you love me before the foundation of the world. Folks, one of the things that should help us glorify God is our constant vision and understanding of the fact that we do have an eternal home with him. That as we face the challenges of this life, we understand that the blessings of the next life far outweigh any challenge that we will see here in this world. We have an eternal home. In the presence of the glorified Son of God, seated alongside of, of his Father, and having his Spirit just guiding us, directing us, loving us for all of eternity. So Jesus began his phrase with, the hour has come. This morning, I want to challenge us to think about how that relates to glorifying Jesus with our lives. Our hour is here. We have a job. We have a purpose. We have a mission to glorify him so that the Father could be glorified, so that people enter into that eternal relationship or that they're encouraged in the relationship that they have with him. So as we think about it, 
I just want to challenge you this week. Spend time in God's word. Get to know what he wants so that we can glorify him more and at a deeper level. Spend time thinking about your eternal home. This year we're going to spend a lot of time, as Doug mentioned a couple weeks ago, having an eternal perspective, talking about our eternal perspective. That the things that we do here in this world need to be guided and directed by the eternal kingdom that we are anticipating. And so people need to see that in us. And so the hour has come. How will you glorify Christ today? How will you glorify him in the week to come, the month to come, in the years to come? Our hour has come. He's praying for us. He's not left us alone. Go for it. He's praying for us. He's given us his spirit to guide us and to empower us to do it. It's time for us to step up to our, our hour because he stepped up to his hour. Let's pray together. Father, just thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Thank you that we're secure in you. Thank you that we have an eternal home in heaven. That you have given us your word to guide and direct us. God, we just want to pray today that we would glorify you. Lord, whether we're walking through a valley or on the top of a mountain or anywhere in between, that we would just set our sights on you so that people can look and say, how do they endure that with such grace and dignity? How do they have so much joy? Even as things are going well, they just seem to exude joy. And Lord, it's because we know you, because we've placed our faith and trust in you. I just thank you in your name. Amen. Amen.